0: So I started a uh, another script tonight because I read an article uh, Fox News had on uh, Joy Reid and this guy Anand Gabarale blah 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 or whatever I can't think of his name, but uh, I couldn't pronounce it even if I saw it, so it doesn't matter. Uh, but uh, where he suggested that you know Musk owning Twitter uh, could tilt the election, and, uh...
1: I saw that. People were laughing about it already. He just goes blithely on, basically saying everything that actually happened in the last election as if it were something new that Musk would do, right?
0: (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) Here's MSNBC. There's studies that have been shown that this power can be used to tilt elections if someone Mm -hmm. were to want to use it that way. It's not enough to just rig law
1: and policy. You want to rig the discourse. You want to make sure you control the terms. If you own all of Twitter or Facebook or what have you, you don't have to explain yourself. You don't even have to be transparent. You could secretly ban one party's candidate or all of its candidates all of its nominees, or you could just secretly turn down the reach of their stuff and turn up the reach of something else. And the rest of us might not even find out about it till after the election. Well, here we are. It's for the last week of April, 2022. This is This Week of Common Sense. And uh, normally we record these things, these podcasts at the end of the week, but you're on, going on the road again. And yes. we're trying to sneak one in to record at the beginning of the week.
0: Yeah, it's it's. Uh, this is the earliest we've ever recorded, and we're sort of cheating because we've 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 gotten scripts ahead of time. So we've already got all the scripts for the week. Which means, you know, if an asteroid hits the Earth or something, well, I guess that would that wouldn't matter, would it? But if uh, if something happens, well, I don't know what we're gonna do. We'll just have to cover it next week. Don't do anything really consequential this week. Okay. Um, well,
1: I probably won't.
0: I plan to to be on my best behavior, so I probably won't either. But this week, on Monday, we wrote a piece, "Electoral Fraud Google Style," that deals with, I think, something we were just talking about, uh, which is this idea that that somehow someone might manipulate people that uh, uh, and, and what they're thinking or seeing or what have you, and um, And of course it's kind of funny because it's been suggested it's going to happen now that elon musk has bought twitter as if as if he's the first rich guy who's ever bought a media outlet i mean it's it's uh it's kind of silly but especially on this aspect of it it's outrageous because of course as we talked about uh google has done all kinds of things uh in and and Seems to have admit, admitted as much in terms of doctoring their search results, in in way of uh, you know siding with the government's view of COVID. Uh, the lab leak was something that you were going to have trouble getting search results on uh, for uh, about a year, I guess, on Google. And of course, as we wrote and we linked to in uh, Monday's piece. Uh, link to a piece that that we did what, back in 2017 called the online manipulation of democracy and it is has been pretty well established that google wrote uh, i could say doctored their algorithm but but designed an algorithm uh that was going to help hillary clinton we've discussed this before uh, sometimes you know if I'm looking for a particular story that I have seen, but I forgot to you know somehow record what the link was, and I need to get back to that story, and I'm searching for it. I have a hard time if it's from a conservative publication. Oftentimes I have to give up on Google after a couple of uh, pages and go to DuckDuckGo, and which I find I I find these much quicker. I don't know what that is, but uh, it and, and this has a huge impact because if, if you're searching about issues, I mean, if, if I could control what everyone sees when they search for different issues, I think I could have a tremendous <laughs> impact on the way people see those issues, because, of course, I could give them all my arguments and 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 so this is is uh, this has been going on, and yet we have our elite talking heads on television, and the heads of academia, and the brilliant minds, the beautiful people of our society, who are acting as if Elon Musk will somehow become. The person who finds a way to control what people are saying online, or who, you know, and it's just, it's ubiquitous. And it's been all just about 100% the left clamping down on the right. Um, and of course, our Tuesday piece uh, uh, this week was Musk's Twitter's must do's. And uh, and just suggesting because it, it, it's interesting, you know, so many people, they they love Elon Musk. He's going to save the world or they hate him or, you know, he's going to destroy the world. Uh, he's going to start using media to influence people. Uh, he's going to uncensor, which will allow us to hear all kinds of ideas. What a terrible thing. But um, but, I'm, you know, I, I kind of. Think you gotta watch what people do and you hear good stuff. Well, that's great. You maybe have some polite applause, and then you wait and see what happens. And I think it's certainly possible that Elon Musk doesn't do everything at Twitter just the way that Paul Jacob or even Tim Verkla want him to do. And and uh, you know, it it'll be interesting to see what he does. But what what I suggested in in Tuesday's piece is that there's a clear Dividing line between doing things illegally in social media on Twitter or any other platform, encouraging illegal things, uh, celebrating illegal things, and making a statement about any issue that's not illegal, and um, and you know I I, I don't think that policing these platforms is a very big deal unless you plan to police the way that facebook and youtube and twitter and others have have done which is to do it with a political bent and to do it without any real rules that make sense without any clear parameters and so you're constantly uh you know, slapping people with restricted status. And I'm, I'm thinking largely of Facebook because that's what, I never liked Twitter. I'm, I might be, you know, snide and, and snotty at times or something, but not clearly not enough to really enjoy Twitter. So, uh, so I'm more in, into Facebook. And Facebook's been totally insane. And the very few times that I've bumped up against anything there, it's been bizarre. You know, a month after I did a piece just saying I was at this referendum in London and showing pictures and I had posted probably 15 different things about that. But a month later, this one piece gets pulled out and I was restricted. (laughs) I did a a commentary about it, Uh, but I I had a restricted status which meant I couldn't go live on Facebook. Of course, I'd never gone live on Facebook and probably never will. But, uh, but, you know, it was just, first of all, the punishment was stupid because it, it was no punishment at all. It was never clear what, uh, what about that post was problematic in any way. I tried to contact them several different ways, no response. Um, it's, it's like a dystopian. I mean, if they had any real power they would need to be arrested and taken to to the courthouse to where we could sort everything out. Thank goodness they're just a private actor screwing up these social media platforms, which of course are hugely consequential, Um, but, but much more consequential if instead of just a robust debate happening on these platforms, these platforms are shaped actively to to you know broadcast one point of view and squelch other points of view
1: well that all sounds very totalitarian yes which brings to wednesday's piece worse than shanghai because here we get to real full-on totalitarianism in its almost its worst form almost
0: yes yes and 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 one thing we debated on this piece was to um we really hear our, our you know, pointing out that in America we did a lot of stupid things about COVID, and we fought over things, and and most of the fighting was because someone was going to force somebody else to do something that, really, I don't think when it most of it was the government they had any power and authority to do so. They may have had the power, they had not the constitutional authority, and uh, but but you know the the lockdown insanity in the u.s is not the lockdown insanity in china because they're totalitarian and and one thing you and i debated on on the script was whether to mention the lockdown insanity in let's say australia and new zealand which you pointed out could certainly be be uh noted here because they went crazy i mean new zealand they locked down the country when they had one case i think or one death or something and it's it's uh it, what, what's funny uh, about Shanghai now, and there's not much funny about it because it's it's lockdown where literally you're being locked down here. They're like you know welding shut doors and you can't go out and get food. You have to kind of hope someone will will deliver food. and you can bribe someone to do this or that or that you have food stocks. Um, but, but in, in Shanghai, uh, it's it, it seems to me they're also banking on a strategy about COVID that has been flirted with by the West, the, the United States, Europe, especially here. And, you know, I hadn't spent a lot of time in Europe, especially in this pandemic. So I don't know everything that's been said there. I've tried to keep up with it. And, of course, we've kind of been told, you know, for the longest time during the pandemic in the U.S., the U.S. was the worst place, and we we wanted to be free, and so we were complaining. But everywhere else in the world, you know, all the, the the protests and stuff in Europe were not well covered in the U.S. I mean, this was this they went through pretty much the same thing, but it's it's uh, it's the sort of thing where in in Shanghai they are able to do it without any complaining you know it's and and we link in this piece to one of the recordings i don't know if there are a number of them this one uh i think got a lot of of attention but it's just people screaming at at night because they're locked in these huge skyscrapers and you know there's not a whole lot that they can do see in this pandemic the push for government to be big brother and and you know government could be big brother at some point in a good way where oh they have the knowledge and so they help us all and they they have the medicine and they have you know if the if the virus uh, could have been wiped out by the vaccine as was kind of sold to us you know china's been selling folks on zero covid in the U.S., we were sold on you take this vaccine. First of all, you 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 know you kind of uh, what what is it? Uh, you you straighten out the curve so that the hospitals don't get overwhelmed. And then the next thing you know, everything's locked down because we're just not going to allow anyone to ever get this virus. And then it becomes okay. We have to do that until we have a vaccine, which will just whoosh wipe away the virus and save everyone. And of course, it turns out that it doesn't really work that way. And, and to the degree the vaccine works, it works in reducing deaths, it works in reducing the worst cases, maybe stemming some of the, you know, some of the, the spread, but, but doesn't seem to do very good at stemming the spread. Um, and, and it seems to me that China is trying to do that on steroids, that we're just not, they, they don't really have the same vaccine. Theirs are even less effective. And this is a pretty ineffective vaccine as vaccines go, ours is, uh, all three of them it seems. But, um, but so in, in China at some point it's going to, I mean, it, they're not gonna get to the endemic stage that the U.S. I think has already largely gotten to. And, and I'm, I, you know, I say this, I'm not a doctor. I don't play one on TV. Uh, I don't claim to understand everything about epidemiology and, uh, and so on, um, but it just seems clear that we've gotten to a point where a large segment of our population has, is vaccinated. Even if they aren't vaccinated, they have the antibodies, and they, they'll beat up on this virus, and it's not going to be as devastating. In fact, the truth is it never was A virus that's wiping everybody out that's that was kind of you know that was the panic that was the hype
1: if it attacks mainly the old or the infirm that's very different from what happened with the spanish flu which attacked the young and the strong and whatever that was in spain in uh, in 1918 1919 was very different as uh, epidemiologically in in terms of who died uh and uh and that's a very interesting difference, and I think we should always note that difference. And the thing is, we knew that going into COVID that it attacked mainly the old and the and, and the infirm.
0: Well, we knew that very very early. I mean, at one point, uh, well, it was some huge percentage of the deaths were people over eighty. Yeah, so and... it was a, you know it was a, a very but but to be honest with you, maybe I've heard it at some point, but it didn't sink in. <laughs> I'm a little tough as far as I go sometimes. I didn't realize that the Spanish flu, which, of course, we have nothing against Spanish people. They didn't really start this flu. That's just the way these things used to get named before everybody was so touchy. But I didn't realize the Spanish flu. I mean, I knew it, it was more devastating at all levels of the population, but I would have thought that it was more devastating to older people, that there was no special kind of uh, uh, thing that, that it would hit younger people.
1: It's been years since I've read the book on the subject, but uh, my memory is that the disease took your immune system against yourself is that you overcompensated. And so that there was the people with good immune systems that then choked themselves up with, 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 the, with the worst elements of the respiratory virus or, or the bacterial right. infection, which I think is really what actually happened, is that the bacterial infections is what got people and it got them young. And that's, I mean, nearby there's a cemetery and I can look and see the young people who died in it. And it was something that people knew and were talked about when I was a kid. Even and yes. I'm and I'm late in the game. This is you know I wasn't really uh, anything uh, anything cognizant of the world until or, the '60s. Or,
0: what forty years after the the fact?
1: Yeah, but people were still talking about it. And uh, and this last thing was not that, but it was very effective to allow governments to overreact and do crazy things. And that's that's been my worry from the beginning. You know, was that this was going to be a Psychological operation, or as I like to think of it as a, a meme wrapping up a virus. And it's the meme that uh, really did the great damage. Now, the meme being, we must get rid of freedom so that we can save the jeopardized.
0: Rahm Emanuel, years, years ago, uh, making the statement, let no crisis go to waste. Um yeah. And, and the, the implication was, was obvious and clear. I don't think he'd even fight about it, that when there's some crisis, you take advantage of it and, and build yourself bigger politically. And of course here, you know, they, they've, they've pretty much decided that the CDC can tell people to do anything. The CDC is like uh, you know, the political equivalent of God. And all of a sudden uh, the courts <laughs> ruled, no, not so much. Um, and and we've seen this in state after state. We did a, a script uh, many months ago about Michigan, where the court came down and said, wait a second, you're you you do not have the power that you are saying you have. And where the AG continued to try to utilize the power that the court said the AG did not have and the governor did not have. And again, when people are scared. People in power have have some leverage and boy, have they used
1: it. This is, you know, not your normal subject that you deal with. I mean, we, we, you deal with everything, but I mean, normally you're dealing with procedural rights and, you know, issues like term limits and and initiative rights and referendums. Which, which
0: Thursday we get to? Which
1: yes. was I was just setting you up because a bazooka to Congress, your Thursday piece, uh, is uh, about yes. limiting power in Congress. I guess. Yes. A certain type of power that people don't think about very often, maybe.
0: Maybe, and 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 one that because it doesn't limit everybody in Congress, it only, only limits some people. The more powerful people who are committee chairmen or ranking members in the minority and therefore have more control over the committee structure, which is, is real power, you have other Congress people who are for it. When, when I, I remember years ago when people would say, well, Congress is opposed to term limits and I would correct them. No, no, they're not. They're all for term limits, just term limits on other people, not on them. They're for term limits. The Joint Chiefs of Staff have term limits. They're for term limits for all kinds of different <laughs> positions. And I used to kind of keep track as different positions would get term limited. Clearly they like the concept. I mean, who passed the term limits that went around the country and states ratified to, the, to be the 22nd Amendment to limit the president to two terms? It was Congress. They did it gleefully because it didn't involve them. And Congress likes term limits on other people, which is why some in Congress, uh, the Democratic leadership, and tr- the truth is Republican leadership bristles since 1994 when the term limits movement really swept republicans in they they weren't very good about term limits on everybody they played all kinds of games with different measures so everybody could vote for it, but nothing got the two-thirds that were necessary to to propose an amendment but they did implement term limits on committee chairmen, and that was a big deal now they they the republicans through the years have have largely kept that so even when they're in the minority the ranking member is is limited and you might think well they're not a committee chairman they're not really in the majority they don't have that much power but if they go into the majority it's going to be the ranking member who becomes the committee chairman so if that ranking member is is ranking member for three terms and gets term limited and then you go into the majority they're not in line and someone else is in line. And of course, the someone else is like that a whole lot. And the someone who's no longer in line doesn't like it as much. And Republicans used to give waivers a lot of times, depending on how you could apply for a waiver. Oh, I've been in three terms, but I really, really should stay a fourth term as the committee chairman. And depending on the politics, 110% the politics, you'd get a waiver or not get a waiver. But still, it was something. And what Republicans are now talking about, largely as a way to stick it to Democrats, but I see it as just a way to do what the American people want you to do, for goodness sake, is to not only limit their own committee chairmen or ranking members, but to limit all Democrats and Republicans. So this three-term limit would be on the Democratic ranking member, And if Republicans held it for that long, well, then they'd have to switch out too. It would become a rule of Congress. And I love it. I love it because it really encourages the Democrats to keep this. And of course, it's going to be the type of thing where do they see it as something that the public likes? Well, yes, of course they do. But the longer term people don't like it. Shorter term people they kind of do like it. And of course, once they become committee chairmen, they're not gonna like it anymore. <laughs> so, so uh, but then there'll be other new members, and one of the interesting things in in this piece, at least to me, I'm I'm you know, hopefully it was interesting to other people too, is in talking about all the committee chairmen who would be, you know, term limited, they had served 26 years, 34 years. 22 years and then the one democrat who said hey i think this is kind of a good thing in the real world a lot of times they limit how long people are in positions of power so they get new blood and so on and of course that person's been in four years so it's it's uh, you know that's that's what it's about but but of course you do find that in the real world i know uh, years ago and this this may have changed it may be slightly different now but back in the 1990s, when we were, we, I was running U.S. term limits, uh, people would say, well, you know, are you going to throw out the uh, CEO of some company uh, because he's been there six years? And it turned out that the average tenure of a CEO of a politically traded company was six years. Course, <laughs> the average tenure in, in Congress, much higher than that. So it's, it's uh, you know... The, they can point out, you know, tap dance, but the reality is, in the real world, there are these things that that, you know, suggest we don't want the same people entrenching themselves. Uh, the military has kind of a move up or out, um, and and uh, I, you know, there's some good things about that.
1: We're going through remarkably quickly the yes. stories of the week. Maybe we should do this every week, getting them done early. Wouldn't that be something? Um, and said,
0: but then, what would we worry about? What, you know, late at night, we wouldn't be able to talk. We wouldn't fret <laughs> about someone.
1: But I do have a question about your Friday piece, and that is, what is the title you decided upon?
0: Injustice by quota. Okay. I think if it gets changed, people will know it now. It'll always stick out. Oh, wait a second! It'll be you know, it'll be a big mystery. Why was this title changed? But I think that's the, the right title.
1: Okay. Very good. I'll get rid of the other one.
0: For our audience should know, you're the, you're the guru of titles.
1: That's, this is your title. No, this so. is
0: mine. That's, that is why it's, that's why it's still under question. But uh, <laughs> well. no, the, the interesting thing about this is, is for years, you know, there have been places and still are uh, throughout the U.S. where they have like quotas on how many traffic tickets police are supposed to give out. And it just seems that any rational, commonsensical type human being would look at that and say, wouldn't they kind of encourage police to give tickets maybe on the edge when maybe it's not such a good idea? Um, But I was not even aware that there was anywhere in this world where there might be quotas for the number of arrests that a policeman's supposed to make. You know, a traffic ticket, as I point out in this piece, is kind of a half arrest, but, but it's the better half <laughs> because they don't track <laughs> you down to the, to the who's cow. But there is a place, and in fact, I live there because this is a story out of Virginia. The legislature passed, and our new Republican governor signed legislation that makes it illegal for police departments in the state of Virginia to have a quota on how many arrests a policeman must make. But we still have at least the ability uh, for local jurisdictions to have a quota on, on traffic tickets, on how many they give out. So we, we've gotten the biggest part of it done here in the uh, Commonwealth of Virginia. Uh, still allowing that quota system for uh, for traffic tickets. and And I, I think the reason uh, I think the reason I wanted to do this piece is just, to me, it shows how on a small thing sort of, I mean, it's not like there's a, a big death list of all the people who were killed and because some cop went to get his last you know arrest under the quota. Uh, it's not the biggest story in your newspaper tomorrow, but on this little thing, we got it wrong. I mean, and now we've gotten it right. We we've taken care of business, although not all the way, not, not extending the principle to realize, Hey, wait, let's get rid of the thing on traffic tickets at the same time. But it just shows how easy it is for something that's not quite right to continue on and on and how important it is, it seems to me, to fix it. And for us now in Virginia, to not, not just be satisfied that this one thing got fixed, but go back and make sure that the, the police aren't doing quotas on anything, not traffic tickets, not arrests, nothing. So there.
1: I've long thought that the traffic ticketing system is just simply a shakedown system, sort of allied with anarcho-tyranny of grabbing money from people who have it because you can. Many people get tickets who shouldn't get tickets.
0: The civil asset forfeiture that we used to talk a lot about and, and probably should keep talking about some uh, is is that. I mean, almost all of the actual takings are small dollars, right. $300, $500. Where the, the police, in essence, just rip somebody off. I mean, let's just say it like it is. They're ripping somebody off. And that's all it is. It's a shakedown, exactly as you say. Now, I haven't been shaken down in any any traffic tickets. And uh, trust me, I've had I've had my share of traffic ca- tickets. Sometimes, sometimes I mistakenly go just slightly faster than, than would be optimum. And I haven't been shaken down. So you know, at least some people can, can skate.
1: No, I'm, I'm arguing that many of the people who are speeding shouldn't be shouldn't be uh, shaken down for the money because the best way, I mean, there's a number of ways that they've found to make people drive safer on the road. And if you need a place that has a low speed limit, there's a really effective way of doing it. It works almost all the time and it doesn't require anybody getting a ticket. All it requires is with those interactive radar signs on the road, that show you what, how fast you're driving and right above the speed limit. And it just, it's just almost magic. People want to hit it. It becomes a game. And people tend to go drive down. It's been very, very effective, far more effective than than policing to get people to drive a, a slower speed limit. Now, but the reason they don't do that is it costs. Government money and doesn't bring any new money through the system. Right. Doesn't make money. So that so so it's not a shakedown system. That's what I'm saying is that I just sort of look like the whole system is a shakedown system because it's not the most effective way to get people to drive safely. There are other ways to get people to drive safer too, as well. There are things that you can do in in, in road engineering.
0: Our police system is designed to maximize revenue to the state and not to protect people.
1: That's kind of what I'm getting at. And one of my concerns, you know, about 10 years ago, progressives began arguing with everybody else, but especially with libertarians, uh, saying that, you know, we would just want socialism, you know, like the roads. And my reaction then was, that's the last thing I want, because what we learned from our road system in America is our government starts treating as a, as a not really a shakedown system, but as a way to beat down poor people. I don't know if, if you've ever challenged a ticket in court, but to watch poor person after poor person who had run afoul of the laws of the road and just watch them abject before the court.
0: It is a searing, a searing memory from my youth was going to court on traffic stuff, being treated very nicely by the judge and watching the judge treat poor people very unnicely um, and this was was uh you know it, it, it varied there were court rooms that i was in where they they did treat everyone nicely and that was uh there's there was uh, one judge judge morley in north Little Rock, arkansas and uh who who just treated people nicely and uh and it's funny people remember him people remember (laughs) him and really liked him and he didn't it wasn't like he let you off or you know he just treated you like a person and but what you're talking about i think is very true it's it's uh the law is it's one place like i'm not big on subsidizing people But when it gets to court, I like the idea of having a a lawyer appointed for you, and it's usually not enough, but it's something to protect people and not allow people with money to have huge advantages over other people. I don't want to take away any advantage. You got money, go buy whatever you want. I'm happy for you. I just don't want that to be used to kind of cripple somebody else. And in the courts, that can be exactly what happens. It's, it's interesting, when you, we talk about quotas and different things in Ferguson, um, and we got involved, Liberty Initiative Fund worked with the, some folks there to do a police camera measure after Michael Brown was killed in Ferguson. But there was all kinds of analysis of the police force in Ferguson and in other small jurisdictions in St. Louis County. You've got St. Louis City, in St. Louis County, and there are all these little cities in St. Louis County, and quite a few of them have a huge percentage of their city budget coming from traffic tickets, judicial judgments, uh, that sort of thing. And if your city is run on money, you know, glean from people for committing some infraction on the highway or somewhere else, it creates a sort of incentive, just like a quota system, that maybe suggests you ought to really hyper-police folks, that you'll have a much richer city if more people are stopped and given a fat ticket, and you'll have a much richer city if you have a system that's tough on people, that, uh, that doubles their fines when they miss a court date. That's very unforgiving. Um, and, and uh, you know, we, we've, we've seen the opposite a little bit. Like I happen to be someone who believes that, that uh, crime around the country is higher today because people have seen pictures of folks carrying huge coats and other luxury items out of stores with no repercussions.
1: TV sets, even big yeah. screen, flat screen TVs.
0: Yes. And you know, incentives that they affect people, people want to have stuff. And when they see other people get stuff for, for free or because they rip people off and then, Oh, that's, there's nothing wrong with that somehow. Well, you know, it's easy for some people to kind of go, Oh, well, then it must be okay for me to do it. And it, you know, incentives matter. And, and we, I think it works on both ends of it. If, uh, you know, and the interesting thing is, so much of politics is the police are always right, or you know the criminals always right, or whatever it is, and and we're supposed to fight that way. But the truth is, if you look at polls on all these different issues, from arch conservatives to liberal, progressive, Democrats. Um, people agree on all kinds of criminal justice reforms and all kinds of these issues. People are not largely the police are always right or the police are always wrong. It's it's largely our media that, that wants to push narratives instead of pushing stories.
1: Well, on that note, we could actually wrap up the last week of April, 2022.
0: Well, let's wrap it up.
1: And then we have a few
0: days in April to just dance in the rain, you know, plant flowers. Who knows?
1: For more information on this podcast and on Paul's daily commentary, go to thisiscommonsense.org.